Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts. There is one other host that is joining me today, Daniel Sun. Ayo. Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 80 extra Patreon episodes, which is over 100 extra hours of listening pleasure. To see this entire full list of Patreon episodes, go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the Patreon Episodes tab. There, you will see an entire list of Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is backmasking. And if you don't know what backmasking is, well, it's basically hidden messages in popular songs that can only be heard when played in reverse. So you get access to that episode, as well as all of the others, for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressured to leave us one if you don't want to. That's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. Alright, so that's the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over the Phoebus Cartel. So how this episode will go today is that we'll talk about light bulbs in general, which I know everybody's like, light bulbs? What? It, it all comes together, just trust us. And then we'll get into the Phoebus Cartel. And then we'll go into strange facts and findings, theories, and then, of course, wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. You buy a product. It could be a new cell phone, washing machine, or even a new car. This item works fine until right after the warranty expires, and then you have to go purchase a brand new one. This seems to be a common occurrence, and many individuals that this happens to will likely disregard it as bad luck. However, what if we told you that this is a common business practice called planned obsolescence? and it is being hidden away from the public. It would sound crazy, right? Well, it is true, and it all started back in 1924 when a group of the world's top businessmen gathered for a meeting that would alter the world for decades to come. This is the Phoebus Cartel. All right. So to learn about this Phoebus cartel, and by the way, real quick, I do want to say I want to pronounce it Phobius so bad or Phobus. Dude, that's what it looks like. Yeah, because of the way it's spelled P-H-O-B-U-S. Pronunciations, not my forte. Anyways, so to learn about this Phoebus cartel, we have to start about 45 years before its creation. And... <laughs> We have to talk about light bulbs. Now, I know what most of you are saying. Light bulbs? What the hell does that have to do with anything? Well, just trust us here, because this all comes together. So, Dan, do you want to start it off for us? All right. So, way back in 1879, Thomas Edison introduces the world to the first commercially viable light bulb. Everyone at the time was like, Oh, hell yeah. Electricity in our homes, bitch. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So by 1901, the light bulb market was booming. Companies all around the world are innovating. 
and there are a lot of little light bulb companies all trying to make the best light bulb that they can. So let's fast forward to the 1920s. By this time, things have changed. The light bulb market got really consolidated. All those little light bulb mom and pop shops weren't around anymore. And there were a bunch of big light bulb companies that basically controlled things. You could pretty much look at a map back then and draw lines out in different countries that each light bulb company had a monopoly in. For example, the company General Electric, they control the light bulbs in the UK. The company Osram controlled the light bulb sales and production in Germany. The company Tungsrum controlled Hungary. The company Compagnie des Lamps controlled the market in France, and so on. Basically, it was monopolies. You'd have one light bulb company controlling entire sections of world territories, which this was more or less a paradise for that industry. If you had no competitors at all, you could do anything you wanted to because the consumers totally depended on you. Everything was good for these companies until 1923. During that year, Osram, the German light bulb company, they had a really bad year in sales. William Meinhardt, who was the head of Osram, had an idea. He thought to himself, Hmm, what if I can get all these light bulb manufacturers in the world to come together, and together we rule the whole world's production of light bulbs? So, in December of 1924, in Geneva, Switzerland, all of the heads of these light bulb companies came together for a secret meeting. At this meeting, they all talked with one another and came to a conclusion. They all decided they wanted to work together in order to avoid a conflict of competition and most of all, to increase sales of light bulbs. So in order for these giant companies to achieve this, they decided to form a cartel. Now, not a Mexican cartel that goes around killing people and hanging them off highway bridges. No, 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 no. This cartel was a secret group to control the market and they called it the Phoebus Cartel. Now. Real quick, just a little knowledge nugget. Uh, but the name Phoebus comes from the Greek god of light, also known as Apollo. Just a little knowledge nugget for you. All right, so how was this cartel going to control the market? Well, what basically it came down to was putting restrictions on light bulbs. For example, light bulbs at the time had an average lifespan of 2,500 hours. These companies all agreed to reduce the quality of their light bulbs to 1,000 hours in order to increase sales and increase the cost of the light bulbs worldwide. So all of them pretty much conspired to make their products worse so that you, aka the consumer, would have to purchase them more frequently. Which this begs the question, how was this cartel enforcing this? Why wasn't the public enraged at them doing this? And why wasn't the government stepping in to protect the consumers? Well, let's start off with the first question of how the cartel was enforcing these product restrictions. So all these light bulb companies had to regularly send samples of its bulbs to a central testing facility in Switzerland. Now there, these light bulbs were thoroughly vetted against the Phoebus cartel standards. Now, if any of these light bulb companies submitted light bulbs that lasted longer or shorter than the regulated lifespan, then that company had to pay a fine to the Phoebus cartel. That wasn't all. Companies were also fined for exceeding their sales quotas, which were constantly being adjusted. For example, in 1927, Tokyo Electric said in a memo to the Phoebus cartel that after shortening the lives of its vacuum and gas-filled light bulbs, sales had jumped five-fold and they had to decrease their overall sales and output. So for over nearly a decade, the Phoebus cartel succeeded in its quest of controlling the light bulb industry. The average lifespan worldwide of a light bulb dropped by a third between 1926 and 1933 from 1,800 hours to just 1,205 hours. At that point in history, no company was producing light bulbs lasting more than 1,500 hours. 
Now, this meant that companies were selling a lot more light bulbs. In 1926, 335.7 million light bulbs worldwide were sold. Four years later, in 1930, 420.8 million light bulbs worldwide were sold. Now, at this time, the actual costs of manufacturing these light bulbs were actually dropping. But the Phoebus cartel made sure that these companies increased the cost of their light bulbs so that their profit margins continue to skyrocket throughout those years. So that takes us to our next questions of why wasn't the public enraged at them doing this? And why wasn't the government stepping in to protect their consumers? Well, no one knew exactly what they were doing. Then World War II broke out and the countries went to war, which then made it difficult for this cartel to control corporations. So in 1940, the Phoebus cartel dissolved and the agreement between the corporations was nullified. Now, it wasn't until later in the 1940s when the public became aware of this Phoebus cartel. Yeah, so at this time, in the 40s, the United States government started investigating General Electric and a number of its business partners for anti-competitive practices. It was then that the government discovered what was happening in the light bulb industry and everything was made public. Then, in 1953, General Electric and other industry leaders were banned from limiting the light bulb's lifespan. That is the story of the Phoebus Cartel, but it doesn't stop there, because we started digging and fell into a huge rabbit hole of weird things. So let's transition into strange facts and findings and go over some of the crazy stuff that we found. Yeah, so that world of corruption of the Phoebus cartel that started in the 20s just led us down this, like Dan said, led us down this giant rabbit hole of, is this happening worldwide with other corporations? And it is. But before we hop into that, let's hop into our first strange fact and finding, which we're going to discuss the Centennial Light. Now, Dan, have you heard of the Centennial Light before? I have not. Oh, you're in for a treat. All right. So way back in the late 1890s, there was a company called Shelby Electric that was located in Shelby, Ohio. So this Shelby Electric developed a 30-watt light bulb. And in 1901, they installed one of these light bulbs at a fire department. Then in 1903, the light bulb was moved to the new fire station one. And then in 1937, when the fire station was being renovated, they turned it off for about a week. Then in 1976, this light bulb was still going strong and was moved to where it currently sits, at Fire Station 6. Now, this specific light bulb has been on and is currently still on for over 120 years. Wow. Yeah, the same light bulb has been on for over 120 years. Can you believe that? One light bulb. That's high quality right there. <laughs> yeah, it is. So during its long life, this centennial light has been off on several occasions, but that was only due to human error, and the bulb itself has never like burned out or ceased to function. And it currently is recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records for being the world's longest-lasting light bulb. Just a little knowledge nugget. But the light bulb actually has its own live webcam that is updated every 30 seconds. So you can go to centennialbulb.org and click on the video bulb camera link and see it right there. Turned on 24-7 for the world to see. You can watch this light bulb light. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much 24-7. It's, well, I don't want to call it a webcam because, well, it is a webcam, but it's a, it's a picture that's updated every 30 seconds. So it's kind of a webcam, but kind of not. I don't know. Right now, it is going strong. Yeah, it's just focused right on the light bulb. Can you imagine when this thing goes out, what everybody's going to do? They're going to freak out. In most fire stations, they do have like their doors open and stuff, so the humidity hits it and all that stuff. But yet, this bulb is still going. Yep. I want a bulb like that. So... Why do we mention this light bulb in Strange Facts and Findings? Now, before we get into that explanation, we're going to take a real quick break, and then we'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. So, why did we mention the centennial light in Strange Facts and Findings? I mean, it is a light bulb. It's kind of cool, right? Yeah. Well, this light bulb was created before the Phoebus Cartel was formed. And, as you can see, it has a super long lifespan. And it is a great overall product. But then you have the cartel that comes into the picture and they start purposely creating shitty light bulbs, which this is a great example of planned obsolescence. Which, if you don't know what planned obsolescence is, it's basically where a company designs a product with an artificially limited use of life, so it will become obsolete or no longer function after a certain period of time. The reasoning behind this is for companies to generate long-term sales volume by reducing the time between repeat purchases. So this actually takes us to our next strange fact and finding. We started digging deep into companies and started looking at other examples of planned obsolescence. And this is what we are going to get into right now. So we got quite a few examples of this. Um, but before we get into them, Dan, off the top of your head, can you think of any? Oh, I have one in my head and I know if I even say it, you are going to go on a rant. What is it? The iPhone. Oh, my God. You you know me so well. Oh, I got a whole story behind that iPhone. Oh, and I got it inside here in detail and what happened. And oh, oh look at you. You already oh, see the blood pumping. I'm so pissed off because I have a personal story connected with this iPhone debacle. But we'll eventually get into that. But before we do, let's talk about the, our first example which is a classic case of planned obsolescence, which is nylon stockings. So let's talk real quick about the actual material nylon. So nylon was first introduced by the evil company DuPont <laughs> around, around 1939 and was in high demand in the United States. Now, during World War II, nylon was used extensively for parachutes, and other war materials, such as airplane cords and ropes. I mean, it's still being used today. It's used in ropes for towing cars and used in climbing ropes. So back in the 40s, this nylon started being used in consumer products. Nylon stockings for women became extremely popular. Every woman at the time was wanting a pair of those things. In Pittsburgh, 40,000 women queued up for 13,000 pairs of stockings that went on sale which the women learned that there wasn't enough to go around, and it led to a bunch of them fighting one another. The Great Nylon Stocking Riots. That's the real name of it. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, because they had riots <sighs> over nylon stockings. Women did at the time. It's crazy. And I bet at that time there was only one color too, wasn't there? Oh, I don't know. Well, at one point, up to 4 million pairs of nylon stockings were being sold a day. Holy shit. Jesus Christ. That's a lot of stockings. That is. So why are we talking about them? Well, just like the Centennial light bulb, these first made nylon stockings were too damn good. They were too strong. They never had any holes in them. And women usually only needed to purchase one or two pairs of them because they wouldn't tear up and they wouldn't ruin. They would last forever. This, of course, hurt the company that was selling them so they decided to make the stockings less durable, which of course made them easier to tear and mess up, which in turn caused women to have to purchase more of them more often. And that right there is our first example. But it isn't our last, because we have quite a few more. Oh yes, we do. And our next example is one that probably pisses me off the most. It's your favorite. Your favorite thing to talk about. So, Dan... Quick question. How many times have you purchased a phone? A year or two after you purchased it, you're like, damn, this thing keeps slowing down. I need to go purchase a new one. Every time I purchase a phone, except for when I had a flip phone. Those things lasted a long time. Yeah. Or what about those Nokia brick phones? 
Dude, those things last forever. They're like cockroaches. Even after a nuclear blast goes off, cockroaches and Nokia brick phones are going to be around forever. I remember uh, the first Nokia brick phone I got. It was gray and white. And I don't know why, but I think we were at a restaurant and I put it on my cup of water. Don't know why. I put it on a cup of water, balancing it on there. I'm just like, oh, look, it fits across. And then I get a message on it. So it vibrates and falls right into the cup of water. Dude, I took it right out of the water, set it there for a little bit. Thing turned right back on. Nice. I had a friend who took his and literally threw it and skipped it across the street like a rock being skipped across a river. The things were indestructible, right? They were. But, of course, as technology progressed, shit got worse. It did. Which takes us to our next example, which is Apple products. Now, just like we said, I'm sure at some point in your life, many of you have thought, oh man, my phone is only a year or two old. How can it already be slowing down so much? Well, there are some speculations that newer forced updates were purposely slowing older phones down so that those individuals would have to go purchase newer phones, which many people thought of that as a crazy conspiracy that had no legitimacy behind it. Well, that was until Battery Gate happened with the Apple iPhones. So let's talk about Battery Gate. So it all started back in 2016. A lot of people at this time started to notice that their older iPhones had problems and that their phones just would randomly begin to shut down at random times. Now, in November of that year, of 2016, this news went viral of people's phones randomly shutting down, and this caused Apple to make an announcement in which they stated that this whole issue, it wasn't a big deal, and that it was only affecting, and I quote, a very small number of iPhone 6S devices. Now that only very small number was not true. And the problem was super widespread. Almost everyone who had an iPhone 6S at the time was experiencing the issues. Which was including myself, but we'll save that story till the end. So fast forward to a month later, and in December of 2016, Apple released its new iOS software 10.2 update. Now, this update didn't have anything to do with the older iPhones messing up. It was just supposedly a regular software update. Then, just 42 days after that 10.2 software update was released, Apple came out and said, Oh, hey, guys, we're going to have to release the uh, iOS 10.2.1 update. Everybody was like, well, what is this update? They said, look, this 10.2.1 update was, you know, it just fixes some security and design bugs that were introduced during the 10.2 release. However, that was a lie. But no one knew that at the time. What the 10.2.1 update really did was that it made changes to power delivery to all devices. Basically, if you had an iPhone 6S or older, then the 10.2.1 iOS software update would throttle your phone, aka make it slower, so that it would fix most of those unexpected shutdowns that were being reported in older phones. So basically, instead of fixing the issue of batteries, what Apple did was purposely make the phone slower, and they knew what they were doing. However, they remained tight-lipped about the full intent behind their updates. So instead of fixing the battery issue, they decided to just put a Band-Aid over it and take all the older phones and just slow them all down. And no one really knew that this was being covered up pretty much until about December of 2017. So in December of 2017, almost a year later, a user on the website form Reddit made a post about how iPhone batteries get older and the research into the CPU of affected iPhones. This user had found out that the throttling of iPhones was in fact a battery issue, that if you replace the battery in the throttled phone, it results in increased performance. Now, this post pretty much went viral and shined the light on Apple's throttling older phones shenanigans. The phones weren't the problem. Old batteries were. 
and Apple was essentially not allowing users to replace their batteries in their iPhones so that after a year or two, when the batteries start to go bad, the individual thinks that it is their phone and they just go buy a new one instead. When all of this came to light, there was a huge public outcry and lawsuits ensued. Finally, Apple publicly admitted that they were slowing down older phones. So a way for them to kind of like save face, Apple offered discounted battery replacements for iPhone 6 and newer for the duration of 2018. But there was a problem though. There's like a, there was barely more than 500 Apple stores worldwide, which left many outside of a, like a reasonable coverage area to travel to to get their battery replaced. But if you did live close enough to an Apple store or an Apple authorized service provider, you would get there and the lines would be out the freaking door. People trying to get their batteries replaced. So you'd have to wait forever. How close do you live to an Apple store? Hell, I don't know. Let me see. I live about 45 minutes from one, and I didn't even know there was one there. <laughs> Find the store. 45 minutes from one. Okay, so it's about the same. Yeah. All right. Then in March of 2018, Apple released iOS Update 11.3, which allowed users with an iPhone to see their battery health to determine if they need their phone's battery changed. Also around this time, legal meetings began for Apple's 59-plus class-action lawsuits that were brought up against them from this scandal. In May of 2018, people were still pissed off at Apple. So what did Apple do? Well, in another attempt to mitigate damage to the reputation, Apple issued a $50 credit to customers who had paid for an out-of-warranty battery replacement for an iPhone 6 or older device in 2017. Then in August of 2018, Apple goes in front of some federal judges and says, hey, you know, why don't we uh, just dismiss all the lawsuits against us regarding this case? The judges were like, eh, nah, it's not going to happen. So they offered a $50 credit to customers who paid for an out-of-warranty battery replacement. Yep. Now, how much did an out-of-warranty battery replacement cost? Because I never had my battery replaced in any phone. Uh, I, I honestly can't remember. Um, I know it was quite a bit. I, I wanted to say it was about like a hundred and something dollars. And everybody was like, what? We're going to have to pay a hundred bucks. That's bullshit. What? And then they just offered 50. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Fast forward to February 28th of 2020. And Apple agreed to a $500 million settlement in a California court under which it plans to pay at least $25 to all U.S. residents who had purchased an iPhone 6, 6 Plus, 6S, 6S Plus, SE, 7, or 7 Plus device. 25 bucks, that's it. I never got that. Yeah, I never got it either. Where's my $25, Apple? Yeah, because I know I had the 6 Plus, then I had the SE, then I had a 7 Plus. Yeah, I had a 6 Plus, 6S Plus, and that's it. And then I quit Apple. Well, I had the newer SE. For a while. And there goes my uh, new iPhone that I just dropped. Yeah, screw you, Apple. That's right. All right. So that wasn't the only investigation that occurred. Uh, because there was another one that uh, happened with 34 other states. They heard about this whole battery replacement scandal. And they started looking into Apple. This investigation concluded in November of 2020 with Apple agreeing to pay a $113 million fine regarding to throttling performance on their devices and for Apple to issue documents to be transparent about how it throttles performance. And that is the Apple battery gate scandal. Pretty much throttling cell phones for you to go purchase new ones. Honestly, I believe after this happened, I think I got rid of my 7S. I believe I gave it to my oldest brother. I went and got me a Samsung. Yeah, I went and got rid of my iPhone for the longest time. I went and got a, what was it, like a Galaxy Note? Yeah, you had the Note. I, had, I just had the S9. I think you had the Note. Yeah, like the Note 7 or some shit like that. I don't know. The one that exploded on planes and you couldn't take it anywhere. I kept that one for a long time. And then... um. That was your uh, concealed weapons carry, huh? <laughs> yeah. And then I had the uh, Note 9 for like a long, long time. That was a great phone. Samsung's so great. 
and then I went back to the iPhone. I'm a traitor, I know. I am too. Everyone had iPhones, and iMessage and FaceTime was nice. Yep. That's like all I use it for. I Back in the day, me and Aaron played a lot of mobile games, and I mean, now we don't really play that many, so. Yeah, it's true. So before I tell the story of what happened with me and Apple, let's take another quick break. It'll be our last one. Get it out of the way. Oh, yeah. And then Pee break. we'll come back. You'll get to hear my story of how me and Apple went to war. So we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Is your bladder all drained, Dan? It is. I feel way better now. Nice. All right, so let me tell you this story of what happened between me and Apple. All right, before we start, everybody, get your popcorn ready. This is going to be a funny story. Well, not for Aaron, but for us. It's not funny. I got <laughs> pissed. All right, so I'm sitting there, and I have an Apple iPhone 6S, and I'm noticing that after this recent update of 10.2.1 that my phone had slowed down a lot. So I started started looking into like the update itself and reading forms and all that. And I came to the conclusion that, hey, Apple was purposely slowing down their phone, that this update was throttling the CPU of my phone. And I had the proof. Like I ended up jailbreaking and unlocking my phone and pulling up all the stats and looking at my phone. And I was actively seeing that my phone was being throttled by this software. I get all this evidence. I go on the Apple form, the actual Apple form itself, and I start posting all of this shit. You know what they do? They call me crazy. They call me a conspiracy theorist and that I'm crazy. And then they ban me. They ban me from the Apple website. But it's not just a regular ban. It's an IP ban to where I can't get on it on any of my devices. I am pissed. And I'm preaching to my entire family, like, Apple is purposely slowing down their phones. Don't buy another one. Nobody's believing me. They all think I'm crazy. Well, fast forward a year later, who's the crazy one now, huh? I remember us getting on there to play games and stuff. I think we were using Skype at the time. And there you go. You were talking about your iPhone. What, had, what happened to everything? I remember you telling the story and how pissed off you were. Oh, yeah. Nobody believed me back then. Look at me now. Damn conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I was right, though. I was right. Huh? Right. Yep. Never got my $25, but that's all right. Yeah, well, I'm going to go demand my $25. I'm going to go pick it. That's what? The charger now? Because you have to buy the charger separate? Or the little box to plug into the wall? 25 for a charger. It's more like probably 60 or 70 for a charger. Ugh. They're ridiculous, man. Price gouging. Right. Anyways, so let's go to our next example. Tell us about our next evil company, Dan. All right. So our next example is automobiles. When you talk to people, how many people say, they don't, they don't make cars like how they used to? Nope, they don't. I will say it too. They do not. Now, this one goes way back. It starts back when Henry Ford of the Ford Motor Company created the Model T. Henry saw the Model T car as dependable and overall great automobile. Its only color was black and everyone loved it. The car was selling great and everything was good. That was until it saturated the market. Everyone needed a car, had a Model T. It ran great and there was no need to buy another. Now, General Motors at the time was pissed. In the mid-1920s, the CEO of General Motors, Alfred P. Sloan, he had an idea. His company would release new models, new colors, and faster engines every year. They would fabricate demand in order to sell more cars. Now, in his 1963 autobiography, Alfred Sloan wrote, and I quote, The changes in the new model should be so novel and attractive as to create demand, and as a certain amount of dissatisfaction with past models as compared with the new one. I mean, that is a great example of not only phones, but vehicles. Yeah. Like you said, the older generation will say that vehicles are not made how they're used to. Only example I can think of is my Mustang. 2006 Ford Mustang. I don't know if you know what the thermostat housing is. No. So it's pretty much connected to the radiator. It holds a little thermostat in there to regulate when your engine overheats and stuff. That little dial on the dashboard. This regulates that pretty much. Okay. The thermostat housing, you figure, it has, it's like connected to the radiator. It's hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold with the fluid going through it. It used to be made of 
you know, I guess you could say like a metal or, you know, some type of metal. In my 2006 now, it is made of plastic. And the parts are like layered together and glued. You figure they would use something more heat resistant, but they don't. And only way to really like I have to buy a custom made piece to replace that if I want it to be not plastic. That's how cheap they are now. Yeah. They're not made to last long at all. They want you to replace it. Any known uh, mechanic knows if you replace the thermostat housing, you might as well replace the thermostat. So that's more money spent right there. Well, that's the same thing with my 2004 GMC Canyon. It has, um, I don't even know what it's called, but basically when I turn my AC on, the number one, two, and three doesn't work and only four works. So it's either hurricane, winds, or nothing. I know exactly which part you need to replace for that. Yeah, so I have to replace that like once every five months. Yeah, it literally looks like a little card that goes into your fan blower. Yeah, and that fan blower's underneath your uh, glove box. Yep, I've actually replaced that three times in less than a month when I worked in Wisconsin. Yeah, so those are great examples. Uh, Another one would be my Saturn VU. I had a 2008 Saturn VU. That thing. (laughs) Dude, I had that thing forever. I had about a year left on it, and the transmission went out in it. Just randomly went out. And I'm like, what the hell? And then I almost had it paid off. I had like one payment left, and boom, my engine just completely was done, toast. And it's kind of like, hmm, did they time it perfectly to, you know, a six-year loan to where, hey, after six years the transmission or the engine goes out so you have to buy another car it makes you wonder because how many stories have you heard like that somebody paying off their vehicle and then the next month something goes bad in their car that they have to fix and they're like oh well might as well go buy a whole new car yeah hear about it all the time hear about it all the time yep the next one i hear about a lot yeah this next one i have a story about it as well and this is a recent story too tell us what this next one is about dan One of the most blatant examples of planned obsolescence, but one that isn't really talked about, are home printers. So the technology inside printers has basically remained the same for a long time. And it's an open secret that printer manufacturers make most of their money by selling ink. Now, if the technology has stayed the same over the years, then why do printer cartridges inside keep changing in shape and size? Why can't the printer industry adopt a standard cartridge size, one that fits a variety of printers? You also have new printer models launching with new specifications with the sole purpose of getting you to junk that old printer and making you buy a new one. Now, I do have a story of my printer experience. So I just bought a brand new HP printer. It was only like 30 bucks. And it said, ink lasts five times longer. And I'm like, okay, cool. And the ink wasn't that expensive, right? But you couldn't get it at the store. You had to order it online. So I get home. It makes me sign up on the HP Hewlett Packard website. Get this shit. To use the printer, I have to subscribe to a monthly printer ink delivery. (laughs) Or it locks me out of using my printer. I shit you not. What? I got so pissed the other day. I go to do a print and it says, ink levels at 35%. You do not have a current card on subscription. We will not let you print. And it locked me out of printing because I didn't have a card on the subscription. So it couldn't send me new uh, ink cartridges. So basically is what it does is, it detects how low you are, and then it automatically sends you your ink. And if you, you aren't signed up to do that, then you can't use the printer. So you know what I did? Took it back, I hope. <laughs> I threw that son of a bitch into the trash can. You know what else I found out about the printers and their ink? So a lot of the documents and stuff I print out, I like to print out in black and white because I don't need color for most of the stuff. You know, even if you print in black and white, it still uses your color cartridge. Do you know why? No, I don't. It wants to give you a more vibrant black ink. 
even though you print in black and white, it will use your color cartridge to make the black more vibrant for you. So no matter what you do, you're using both color and black cartridge. So that in terms makes the ink go down faster in both of them, even if you're using just the black. So you have to buy more ink cartridges. I hate printers and I hate printer companies. That right there is how they make more money. Because like you said, it's the ink. That is. It's all these companies, you know, just trying to make more money off of us. And I figured this is a great episode. This is a great example of corrupt corporations trying to make money off of us. And that's why I say stick it to the f***ing man. That's right. Take that ink cartridge out of that printer and stick it to the man. All right. So that's the end of our strange facts and findings. I guess let's get into theories. So, Dan, you want to tell us about our first theory? Oh, of course. So our first theory that we are going to discuss is about the government. Hehe, <laughs> that's right. So this theory is that the government was actually aware of the Phoebus cartel's motives. That they were just getting the people prepared for what they were actually going to do. That they were going to impose expiration dates on all products in a way to save the economy. So let's say that you go and purchase a TV. Well, the government will say, oh, you can only keep that product for X amount of years, and then you have to turn it back into us. This in turn would stimulate the economy and keep people purchasing goods. Now, this sounds crazy, doesn't it? And it could never happen, right? Well, um, it's actually been talked about before. This strategy of introducing products with deliberate limited shelf life was mentioned in 1932 by a real estate broker named Bernard London in a paper titled Ending the Depression Through Planned Obsolescence. In this paper, Bernard suggested that the federal government was to print expiration dates on otherwise durable goods to urge purchasing. Furniture and clothing and other commodities should have a lifespan just as humans have, he wrote, they should be retired and replaced by fresh merchandise. What if the government is planning on doing this during our next economic collapse? Well, you pose an interesting question, Dan, because this expiration date on all goods was brought up during the Depression. Now, what do you hear circulating in the rumor mill? Oh, we're, we're going to have another Great Depression on the horizon, right? Yeah. Stock market as a bubble, coronavirus, we need to stimulate the economy, blah, 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 blah. So what if this is just, you know, the government planning to do this to us, that they're going to put expiration dates on everything? I mean, I believe it. Shit. I, I even believe that they put expiration dates on toilet paper. <laughs> you won't own anything and you'll be happy, says the government. Ugh, man, that suck. We'd have to trade in our microphones or laptops. Oh, that'd be horrible. And of course, they would only give a certain amount for it. And they'd be like Apple. They give us $50 for it and we have to buy the expensive yeah, ass 50 bucks. Thing. Yeah, right. They'll give us like a, a five buck coupon to, to Arby's. So they'll pull a GameStop on us. Pretty much. Yeah. Ugh. Not talking bad about GameStop, but we all know about GameStop. <laughs> yeah, they don't give you that much trade in. No, they don't. Unless it's store credit. And still, they don't give you that much. All right, so let's go to our next theory, which is kind of similar to the one we just mentioned. It's just a tad different. So this one is that the government is aware that companies deliberately place short lifespans on certain gadgets, cars, and other tech, and that these companies are allowed to do this. Now, the reason it is allowed to do so, so that the economy stays stimulated. Without individuals purchasing these products again and again, it would create no more companies and no more jobs. In turn, it would make the nation poor. So the government allows the companies to secretly do this to keep the machine going. I could see that, that the government's aware of it. And they're just like, hey, as long as you keep this economy stimulated, we don't give a shit what you do. We don't care about the consumers. Never did. Yeah. That's a shame. So let's go to the next theory, Dan. All right. Now, this theory is pretty simple and just honestly straightforward one. It is that all companies do this in some form or fashion and that it is just out of greed 
for them to be able to sell more products more often to line their pockets with more cash and MTRs. That's the most believable one. It really is. I think the government's aware of certain companies that do this, but I, I think that almost every company deliberately does this. Yeah, like why would you want to sell a product in such great quality that once you sell it, they don't need to buy anything else of like that again for a long ass time? You figure, hey, we should be doing this for the consumer, you know, give them the best product, but then we're not making as much money. So what are we actually doing? We're pretty much helping them out and not helping ourselves. Right. So should we just start making more and more shittier episodes? I mean, we could. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Now, I know this episode is like a little different than our previous ones. I figured we'd kind of change pace, right? Yeah. Change it up. I mean, I kind of like this one. And I know you were ready for this one. You were ready for it. I was. I was ready to tell my Apple story. I was ready to out these companies. So do you have any like personal thoughts or theories behind any of this? I mean, I'm all for the it's the companies just want money. There's no way around it. I know that's in fact what they want. They get parts made cheaper, sell it to us at the same price that they normally would for great quality products. And they'll just like, oh, guess it was the user uh, error that messed it up. So now you have to buy something new. We can't fix that. Yeah. Say iPhones. You got to trade in. Or, I mean, honestly, it's probably any phone. You go to trade in. If you don't have a screen protector on it and there's a little scratch, the quality on that goes down severely. They want to treat their product that it is the best product that they've ever made. But yet, as we could tell, they plan for these phones and stuff to die out really quickly. Yep. And if any of you listeners have any examples of this that we didn't mention or any personal stories of this happening to you, send us an email at either Aaron at theoriesofthethirdkind.com or Dan at theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and we would love to hear it. Dude, I got one. And this is actually not an Apple one. It is a Samsung one. Oh, all right. And this one actually, this actually probably pisses me off just as much as you with Apple. So I had a Samsung, and it was the, it was the S9. I never had a problem with it at all. All right. Battery life was good. Phone, like the screen was great. Everything. Loved it. Moved fast. Once I got to the end of paying it off, so two years, the phone did start, you know, moving a little bit slower, but it wasn't enough to where I was just like, oh, I got to go get a new phone now. I just cleared it off, made sure that I didn't have anything running in the background that didn't need to be. But sooner or later, it did start to die out. And what pissed me off the most was, is that I don't know if it was a battery issue or a screen issue. The screen would start to go green and then black. It wouldn't come back on or anything like that. So no matter what I did, it wouldn't work. My dad had just passed away and I had a ton of photos on there. When it messed up like this, I'm guessing I'm going to say it was a battery issue because for some reason it reset everything on me and I don't usually do a backup. So I lost everything on there. A lot of photos of my dad and everything. So it actually really pissed me off. And when I did take it into the store, they're just like, oh, it's nothing we can do about it. Because that was, you know, you finish paying it off, so it's not in warranty or anything like that. I'm just like, what the hell? I, you know, I pay monthly for insurance on it. Oh, it's out of warranty. So. That's when you start to riot. You find the CEO of Samsung and go in front of his house. Yeah. And I mean, I loved Samsung phones and that's happened to me. That's, and that's actually why I went back to an iPhone. Because now a lot of my photos I do back up onto the iCloud just to save certain photos so I don't lose them again. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I know Google or Android has their own version, but when you have a bad, what is it? Uh, experience? Yeah, bad experience with something, you move away from it. Yeah, just like how I did with Apple for the longest time. I mean, it's common sense, but I mean, there are some people out there just like, oh, it happened to me, but hey, I stick with it. You know what? Whatever. To each their own. Now, while you were saying that story, I had a theory that came to my head. And this is, this is a theory, right? This is a hypothesis. Okay. You know how we automatically get these Windows updates that are forced onto our computers? Yes, because my laptop just did it the other day when I was researching and I put it down and it decided to update on its own. I thought I had it cut off, but no. So what if these uh, PC manufacturers, these computer manufacturers and Windows, the operating system, are in cahoots together? 
that Windows releases these updates that just like the phones do, right? These they slow down older computers so you can't run certain software on those computers. Are these software creators like Adobe and all these other programs they become more consuming in the resources of a computer so you have to update your computer. I don't know, just a theory. Okay. Right? It would make sense. I mean, that did just remind me of like, you know, Microsoft Word and stuff now. You have to pay yearly or monthly for that? I don't know. I get mine uh, bootlegged. So do I. I got the bootlegged. But no, like, I think you actually like the whole bundle, whatever you pay for a yearly subscription for or some shit like that. When you used to be able just to go and buy the disc with this and then add a CD key and boom, you had it. Oh, yeah. But now you have to pay like a subscription for it. Mm-hmm. They want more money. That's all it is. Yep. Hey, ours isn't increasing in price. Our subscription stays $5 a month. That's right. So there you go. All right. Well, um, you got anything else you want to add to today's episode? No. That was a good episode. A lot of good examples. I mean, honestly, it's pretty self-explanatory. Yep. I agree. All right. Well, that's the end of the episode today. I guess we're going to move to our next section, which is our on-the-scene interview. You want to put our on-the-scene on hold? I'd say so. All right. Still, though, uh, if you have an on-the-scene recording, still submit it. We'd love to, we'd love to hear it. Um, so I guess that takes us to shout-outs. Dan, do you want to start off the shout-outs, or you want me to start them off? Uh, I could start them off. All right. What do you got for shout-outs this week? All right. So I got... For Facebook, I have AJG, Mike P, Danielle A, Anthony P, Matthew M, Frederick P. We got a lot of P's. Aubrey J, Jacob G, Louis A, Dustin G, Trevor J. Uh, AJG, Shelby C, and Santiago have Anxiety, Shane C, uh, Sam Koak, and Christian M, Matthew M, you know, shout out to them. Then uh, for Instagram, I get a ton, and I mean a ton, of shared videos of the female Bigfoot dancing. And the newest trend now is the Bigfoot slide. Hell yeah. The two slides coming out of its pretty much nipples. Nice. So I get a bunch of those. And that is all I have for shout outs for this week. I'll save Instagram for next week. All right. Well, I got a few shout outs for Instagram for our podcast Instagram. Shout out to Dirty Doc, to Sky. Brian Quinn, Gavin Batten, Nestor Martinez, Cody Perry, Mike Ahern, let's see, McKenna, TJ, Grace, Bianca, LHA, Katie J, Isaac Lucero, William Falkers, Nice last name. Tyson Holly, Mariah Lazarus, Ariel Alameda, Arlene Herrera. She said, I know y'all mentioned this, but please cover it. Talking about the Astro World stuff. You know how many requests we got for Astro World? Dude, we've gotten an insane amount. Um Riveras Germs. It's his actual name, Germs. Cool. Full name. Uh, Gia, Maria, Christian Abara, Efren, Sam, Penny, Kirby, Alex, Judah, Walt, Colin, Jesse, Nick, Corey, Seth, and Veronica. And I will save my personal Instagram shoutouts for next week. All right, what do you what'd you just link me, Dan? There's an email I got. 
is a theory that uh from Shane, aka Ghost Trucker on Discord. I thought it was that was kind of interesting. All right, well, let's hear it. And this is for the Rendlesham COVID connection. This is his theory for it. So my theory pertains into the time traveler theory, with the story being they were collecting chromosomes and at the time frame they traveled was 40,000 years. So they couldn't reveal the actual time or reasoning due to releasing the Rona so close to that time. What if they traveled back 40 years, not 40,000, and collected DNA because in the original timeline the vaccine was not fulfilling their agenda? So if they went back to only 40 years, not much genetically would be different. Cameras sucked, less chance of proof that, you know, they would have. These trips to try and fix or perfect their formula could also be causing the Mandela effects. Okay. Interesting theory. Interesting. Always like those. Always like those theories, you know? Yeah. Always like those type of emails. I get deep into reading those when I'm on the pooper. Exactly. This is where I read this one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So shout out to you, Shane. Ghost Trucker Discord. Um, now, real quick, I do want to say uh, I have been getting a lot of emails asking, hey, when are you guys getting merchandise in? Yes. We don't have a specific date. Um, whenever we figure it out, we'll post it around everywhere so everyone will know. We'll post it on Instagram, Facebook, Discord. We'll even make a post on top of the actual merchandise site. But it'll give you a heads up time frame a couple weeks in advance so you know. But I do want to say that we're changing it up since we sell out pretty quickly. We're actually letting the Patreon listeners get first dibs on merchandise. So if you're a Patreon supporter and you're like, oh man, I want this, this, and this, we're going to link all of our merchandise we have set, uh, for sale, and you'll get to pick yours out first, and then whatever's left goes out to the regular public. I mean, that only kind of seems fair, right? It kind of does. Yeah. And I will post to Facebook. I know I've been slow on that. I will post to Facebook. Curse you, Dan. I hate Facebook business suite. I hate it so much. I feel your pain. So much. I don't have a Facebook. I only use Facebook Marketplace every now and then. Yeah, that's the only thing I'd use. I hate using Craigslist. I bought some Bigfoot stickers. <laughs> nice. Speaking of Bigfoot stickers, that package that um that Aaron girl sent us yeah. with all that Bigfoot stuff, dude, she gave me like 800 Bigfoot stickers. Oh, yeah. That was a lot. I started posting them around my work. <laughs> I did. I put them on like random doors. It's like a sticker of Bigfoot, like a small one that says, believe. I started putting them on all the office doors. People's like, who's putting these Who's putting these Bigfoot stickers? It's unprofessional. And I'm like, oh, you're just going to get it more now. That's a present from uh, Driftwood Dan. Ooh, I like that. All right, so do you got any stories, anything interesting you want to talk about before we end this episode? Honestly, I haven't done anything interesting lately. Just research. Oh, okay. Oh, I do have a story. Um, F Blizzard, the company. Okay, not Dairy Queen's blizzards. They're delicious. What they do. I'm talking about Blizzard the company. So what happened was, is I ordered a uh, concept art sketch. Oh, yeah. I remember. Of the Dark Wonder. It finally got delivered yesterday during a thunderstorm. And it was left outside. Now, this is not like a reprint. This is an actual, like, sketch of the Dark Wonder. So whenever I got it, the package was soaked. I opened it up and you know how when you get like water on like a some ink and the ink kind of like spreads out? Yeah, it bleeds. That is exactly what happened to the sketch. Who who delivered it? Um I don't know, I have to look. But I'm pissed. They should have put that shit in plastic. Yeah. Anyways, I'm upset with them and I'm I'm upset with the delivery company because it, it took Blizzard about eight months to deliver the damn thing. Yeah. Shoot. I got, well, I mean, it is a concept art. I was like, I got the Diablo 2 mouse pad and the little bag. Those came in pretty quick. Oh, nice. I want to get the Diablo figurine, but that's so expensive. Oh, it is expensive. I like the, um, the Diablo 4, uh, What's the girl's name? Lilith statue. Yes. It was like 500 bucks. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. 
I ain't spending 500 bucks on that thing. All right, we just need 100 new Patreon subscribers <laughs> for Aaron to buy them. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just going to offer them like five bucks. That's what I would do. I'll give you all five bucks for it. And they're like, okay. All right. Well, I guess that's the end of the episode today. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are amazing. Every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.